You know, a lot of people want to say that uh, uh, in the parable, there's the good son and the bad son. And, uh, and it looks like that when you first start looking at it, because, you know, you've got the younger son that basically uh, just decides he doesn't want to be a part of the family anymore, that the stuff that he's supposed to get after his father is dead is more important to him than his father is or his family is. And so he just asks his father to go ahead and give him his part. And in a Middle Eastern home back then, if a son had done this, what would have happened next would have been that the father would have physically and verbally beat that kid as he ran him out the door and disowned him. Because the thing is, he wasn't supposed to get his inheritance till he was dead. And for someone to uh, want their inheritance while their father was yet living was a way of saying, I wish you were dead. I don't care about you. All I care about is your stuff that I want to be mine. And so, if you remember, he disowned himself, basically. He turned his back on his family and his father, and his father just graciously, and it doesn't use the word where it says divide his property. It doesn't use the normal word for property there. It uses the word bios, the word that we get the word biology from. His life. He divided his life. And he did. Because in order to give his son his portion of what he should have gotten after his life was over, he had to sell property. And that's why it was several days before the son could get his stuff and leave. So the father tore his life apart out of love for a wayward and ugly son. That looks pretty bad, doesn't it? That looks like a bad son. And let's face it, yeah, that is a bad son. And then we see the father's grace at the end whenever the son comes to himself and realizes that uh, he is really messed up, that it would be better to be a servant or a slave in his father's house than to be where he is now. And so he comes home and uh, there's, there's the feast going on and the elder brother comes to the door and then he won't go in once he finds out what's been happening. Now, one of the things that you see in this parable that may not be real obvious is idolatry. Because we know that the father represents God. And what the younger son is wanting instead of the father and a relationship with the father, a loving relationship with the father is what he can get out of the father. 
And that is idolatry. But uh, now then we see the older son come up and he will not go in. He's angry. And uh, his father came out and it says he began pleading with him. Pleading with him to come in. And the reason why is the father's desire is for the family to be whole. For the younger son and the elder son to both be at the table. And the table that's there represents the feast of salvation. And so now we're beginning to see something different. Because who's being the bad son now? You see, it's not the bad son and the good son. They're both bad sons. One's been bad and separated himself from his father by being very, very bad. The other one is lost, if you will, separated from the feast of salvation, separated from the family of God because he just won't come in. And he does, and what, notice this, he is not caring about his father at all. And listen what he says. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I have been serving you. And in some places it says, I have slaved for you. We're going to come back to that in just a second. I've been serving you and have never neglected a commandment of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. And I won't go on. You've heard this story several times. He says, but when this, your son comes home and uh, he goes in, you kill the fatted calf. And he is so ugly to his father. And the reason why he's so ugly to his father is because he doesn't think that this younger son deserves what he's getting. But in the process of expressing his feelings about that, and everybody's all about expressing feelings nowadays, uh, in his, as he's expressing his feelings about this, he is cutting his father to the quick and is refusing to come in even as his father pleads with him. It's breaking his father's heart that he can't have his family restored and happy together again. Some of you in a couple of weeks or less are going to be sitting around Thanksgiving tables and there may be somebody not there because they're at odds with the family and it breaks hearts when the family can't be together. It, it's hard. And so I hope that you can see just the desire of the father's heart that the elder brother come in and love his younger brother. 
and yet he refuses to do so. Well, in the younger son, it's easy to see the idolatry. You can see for years he lived under the radar, kind of. And uh, he wound up apparently being uh, the son that he was supposed to be. But then there was this fork in the road where he finally decided he wasn't going to really get all that he wanted if things continued the way they were. And so he asked for the stuff and he takes off. Many times you'll see people that are served, they serve God and they're wanting his blessing. They're wanting health. They're wanting things to go well. They're wanting their children to be okay. And uh, then there's this fork in the road where they realize that by being good, they're not really having any fun. And so they just take off on the other direction. And that's what's, what happened to the younger son. But uh, here we are at the greatest day in the father's life. And the elder brother, as I've said, is not concerned about the father's happiness. What I'm really getting at, the bottom line of all of this, is there are two ways to be lost. One is by being very bad, and the other is by being very good. Because you see, you can see in the, in the elder brother's words that he was after the same thing that the younger brother was after. The father's stuff with no real regard for the father. Two different ways you can be or try to be your own savior. You can try to be your own savior by just taking your life in your hands and deciding that uh, you can do better at it than to have a better life than God has for you. And you find out where that leaves you. And then it winds up being pretty uh, clear. If you've been the younger brother, uh, the characteristics of that are pretty clear. And you're just, you get in a really bad spot and you want to come home. Uh, but Jesus ends the story with the bad son being saved, if you will, and the good son being lost. That's just amazes to me. It's amazing to me. Now, he's not saying that being bad is okay. That's not one of the things that he's trying to get out of the story. He makes it clear that the younger brother was in a bad spot and a place he didn't want to stay and a place he should not stay. He should come home. What he's saying is in the end, being a younger brother at least lets you know that you're lost. It's easy to see when you're lost, when you're a younger brother, that you have a problem and you're in trouble. The trouble with being an older brother is that you don't know you're lost sometimes. And that's what I really want to zero in on. You don't know you're alienated from the father because, let's face it, uh, 
You know, what does younger brother lostness look like? Uh, And here are the signs of other brother lostness. Uh, Let's see. First of all, let's see how they are. The other brother, the older brother people, they're like right here in church. They're in church all over the land right now, all around the world. There are elder brothers that are sitting in church worshiping, that are uh, uh, supporting their church, that are doing great things, that are helping the poor, that are involved in mission projects, that are uh, leading prayer groups and uh, uh, teaching in Sunday school. And they're uh, giving to the right causes and the right things and they're doing all the right things. They're giving their lives to Jesus and saying, I want to serve you. So how do you know if you have elder brother lostness? Well, the parable gives us three indicators and the three ways that you can know whether or not you're an elder brother. And these are found in verses 28 through 30. First of all, elder brothers have an undercurrent of anger throughout their lives. There's just this undercurrent, just a simmering anger uh, just about all the time. If you're an elder brother, it says that he became angry and was not willing to go in. He was angry. And uh, he says, I have never disobeyed you. If you believe in your heart of hearts, that because of your goodness and your decency and your hard work that God owes you a good life, you're going to spend a lot of your life unhappy and angry because life never goes the way you want it to. It's never going to do that. Now, you might, you know, you just, you, because what your attitude is going to be toward God is I've done all kinds of things for you. Now, why isn't my life going right? Why are these things happening to me? Look at that classmate of mine over there. She never did the right thing. She's lived this horrible life. And now then she's married to this hunk and, and, and things are going well for her. And, 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 and here I am struggling, struggling in life. God, where's mine? You owe me. And so there will be this underlying anger, sometimes at God. But then other times that underlying undercurrent of anger, they'll be angry at themselves. Because if they truly believe that their, that their goodness and, and all this stuff is supposed to result in good things coming their way all the time, then something must be wrong with them. They must not be being good enough. And so they'll be angry at themselves and always examining themselves and trying to figure out 
Okay, how come, what do I need to tweak? How come God, I can't get God to do this or I can't get God to do that? There's another place in scripture where Jesus says, to what shall I liken this generation? They say, we piped and you didn't dance. We mourned and, 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 and you, you didn't play a dirge. And what he was talking about was their version of follow the leader that children would play like one would play like they were playing a flute and then the other children would dance. But seems like follow the leader. And what they're saying, what he was saying is you guys are telling God, hey, why aren't you cooperating? Why aren't you playing right with us? We're doing our part. God, why aren't you doing yours? Because you see, with elder brothers, the relationship with God has something to do with what they're going to get out of God. If I do this, this, and this, then God must do this. And it's based on their performance. Do you see that? And so there's always going to be an underlying anger because of frustration. If nothing else, just frustration with God and themselves. And there can't be any joy in that. So if you believe in your heart of hearts that because of your goodness and decency and hard work, you're owed a good life, that's going to happen. Point number two, as far as uh, different uh, characteristics of elder brothers, and this is one that I see so often, all duty, no beauty. All duty, no beauty. Listen to what he says. All these years I've been slaving for you. And there's an irony here. Because remember the younger son goes off thinking he's going to be top dog somewhere. And he winds up being a slave. And then he comes home, or, or being he wants about a bad spot. He comes home thinking he's not worthy to be anything but a servant or a slave in his father's house. He doesn't deserve to be a son. And so he goes up to his father and says, Father, I don't deserve to be your son. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. Just make me a servant or a slave in your house. And the father immediately makes him a son. And then here is the elder brother. And the irony is that all these years he's been thinking he's a son by being a slave. He's been in slavery. He hasn't seen the beauty of being in his father's house. It's all been about doing the right thing so I can get stuff. Slaving. I've been obeying you, but it's all been a drudge. It's all been a grind. The elder brothers pray. Elder brothers obey. 
Elder brothers do all the right things, but it's a drag. They just do it because they keep on hoping if they keep doing it, that finally God's going to pay off. There's no joy because there's no beauty. Now, this is the thing. When something's beautiful, it's an end in itself. In this, as Jesus is teaching this parable, he's been hanging around with tax collectors and sinners, and he saw them as beautiful. Nobody else could see them as beautiful, but he saw them as beautiful. We may not be beautiful on the outside when God starts with us, but it says that while we were yet ungodly, while we were yet lost in our sins, Christ died for the ungodly. And then it talks about in Ephesians, him loving us into being his beautiful bride. His love is so overpowering that we become the beauty that he sees. You know, it reminds me, I was thinking about this, I remembered how many times I'll have uh, premarital counseling people, uh, guys and gals sit there and take a piece of paper and said, okay, I want you to take this paper and I want you to look at that person sitting next to you. And I want you to ask yourself, if I could wave a magic wand and change anything about this person, what would it be? And lots of times the women will start out drinking, smoking, got you. And then they'd start their list. Now they got a makeover list. And sometimes the guy will just kind of sit there and just kind of, you know, just, then when it's all over, uh, I'll say, now I want you to, now I want you to, what's on your list? And it'll all come out. And then lots of times the guy will just say, Oh, gosh, preacher, I just love her just the way she is. Sometimes the guys love the gals. And the gals are in love with what they hope they can make the guy into. And what I have to tell them then is now I want you to look at that piece of paper. And I want you to look at that person and ask yourself, if nothing on your list ever comes about, can you still live the rest of your life happy with that person? If the answer is no, run. Get out of this thing. Don't marry that person because you're going to be doing them such a disservice. Because you don't love them, you love a dream. And those kind of dreams never really come about. He doesn't just need a good person to straighten him out. He needs a wife that'll love him. And so we have to go through that. It's only two times I've had the people call off the marriage. A lot more times they should have, but... But anyway, but that's, that's another, another thing. But uh, the thing is, this is just it. Getting back to the husband, the, the husband-to-be. She's beautiful to him. 
He loves her just for what she is. Not what he can get out of her. Not what he can make her into. He just loves her. And that's the way it's supposed to be in a relationship with the Lord. We're not supposed to be loving him, expecting to get something out of him. He is perfect. He is beautiful. We should adore him just for being who and what he is and who he is for us. And also the fact that he thinks that we're beautiful too. How can you not love someone that worships and adores you? But there's no beauty in an elder brother's life. You see, they don't see the beauty of God. And because they've never stopped and paused to even think about the beauty of God, because they've been praying to get God to do what they want to, they've been obeying to get what God to do what they want to, because of all this stuff, they've never taken time to just adore him. The stuff got in the way. Their relationship is results-oriented. What I have to do in order to get stuff from God, be it heaven or whatever, they think they have to do stuff for it. I'm, oh, I've obeyed and I'm not getting anything out of it. Last one, most important thing of all, religious and cultural and class superiority. And this is the one that I think the Lord would shout at our country today. Why wouldn't the older brother go in? This son of yours, he's dissociated himself from the family and from the brother. If you go around or if, if you ground your self-image and your value in your performance, if that's how you justify yourself, uh, and why you think that you should have value. If you justify yourself by your hard work, then you're going to look down on someone that you perceive as being lazy. If you justify yourself by being successful, then you're going to look down your nose at people that you perceive as being failures. The younger brother was just about the worst of the worst as the elder brother was looking on. He wasn't just poor, he was destitute. He had nothing and he got himself into that mess. And on top of that, he was immoral. And so he wouldn't go in. Religiously, economically, in every way, the elder brother is not going to want to have anything to do with a younger brother. He doesn't understand that you can only be saved by grace. And you're welcomed at the table because the father loves you and has made a way for you to be there at the table and so he pleads with the elder brother, but the elder brother cannot associate. He just cannot do that. Not with that younger brother, because he's everything that the elder brother thinks is wrong. And yet the father loves him. 
Now here's how you can tell if you're an elder brother. When you look at people of different races, different classes, different faiths, and you feel so superior to them. In fact, you feel creeped out by them. Then you're an elder brother and you're lost. Now, I don't want this, you know, I, I don't want you to get this wrong. I hope that you've been listening, but I, I failed to give you a, a caveat at the beginning. I remember preaching one day and I was enumerating different things and I looked out that were wrong and I looked out in the crowd and there was a guy that it looked like I was describing him. He never came to church and yet there he was sitting out there. And all of a sudden I would find myself preaching at the same time, praying, oh Lord, please just stop up his ears. Don't let him hear what I'm saying. And uh, oh man, he's just going to be so offended. And anyway, after the service was over, I just, he was coming out the door. He grabbed my hand and he said, preacher, you just really let them have it today, didn't you? <laughs> he didn't hear a word. I hope that you've been doing just the opposite today. I hope that instead of thinking, oh yeah, oh, so-and-so, yeah, anger, uh, this, that, all three things. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that person to a T. We have no right to pin being an elder brother and being lost on another person. Just because you're elder brother-ish doesn't mean that you're lost. It means you have some growing to do. But, and maybe some going to do. Maybe going on into the feast. And maybe that's what, if you've been feeling, oh man, he's just been talking to me, you know, hear this as the Father's invitation to you. Issued through his son, just as he was issuing that invitation to his enemies there that day. You see, he has the Father pleading, please son, come in. That's Jesus pleading with his enemies, the scribes and the Pharisees saying, please, the father loves you. I love you. Come on in. Let's pray. Lord, as we bow before you at this time, we thank you. We thank you for the great love that you have for us. We're so, we're so thankful that you love us in spite of ourselves. We're so thankful that you can see beauty in us when we can't see it in ourselves. And we pray, oh God, that you would give us hearts to see our elder brothers and our younger brothers as you see them. As those who are loved by you and who are wanted at your table. Forgive us if in our heart of hearts we've been rejecting and excluding others that you want us to be true elder brothers and trying to bring in these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.